0: to be uh, looking at our third topic in this parenting series, the whole idea of teaching, teaching and training our children for godliness. If you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and following. You can just keep that open, Uh, but I have some things I want to say as we get started this morning. And let's begin by asking the Lord to use this time in our life. Father, we thank you for the direction that you give in your word, for the counsel and the wisdom that it contains. Your word is truth. Your word is life. It gives health. It gives insight and wisdom. It's more precious than gold. And I pray, Father, that as individuals and as families, we would honor your word in that way and see this as the most important thing that we really need to know. We need to know you. We need to know what your word has said. And then we need to put it into practice in our life. Help us today to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, I want to uh, mention a couple things that are coming up. You know, in this series on parenting, my goal has really been to encourage those of you who are parents. To kind of a vision for how God can use you in the life of your children. I wanted it to be broad enough that those who are grandparents and teachers and you know, aunts and uncles would also see how this can apply to you. But really what I try to do in a series like this is to cast a vision, to inspire and encourage you and motivate you to take the next step. But there's a lot of questions that are left unanswered in a series such as this because we can't get into the specific details all the time of your situation, for example. Well, this summer in our summer Sunday school, we're going to be having a parenting series. It'll be smaller classes where you can be involved in those classes and ask questions. And those particular uh, classes are going to use a curriculum that's from the National Center for Biblical Parenting. And it's going to deal with issues of the heart. In fact, the title of that series is that parenting is heart work. And that will start in June, and it will run through June and July. And then in August, of course, we take a break for a month from our uh, summer Sunday school uh, ends at the end of July. And then we take a month off. But in those weeks, you'll be talking about things like the discipline issues or dealing with attitude or helping our children to listen and learn from the examples of others. And you'll be digging into the scriptures as a part of that series, too. So I really want to encourage you to consider that. The children will be covering similar material in their time, so you can talk about it as families afterwards. And I think it will really help you in applying the things that we've been uh, discussing in these weeks together. Well, this morning I want to begin with a story. James Dobson wrote that one of his favorite books to read about boys is the book Up to No Good. The Rascally Things That Boys Do. Uh, It is edited by Kitty Harmon, and it's a compilation of stories told by perfectly decent grown men recalling their childhood years. But here are some examples of things that, I don't know, guys just do. For example, this is Mark from Ohio. He was born in 1960, and he tells of a time when in seventh grade the biology teacher had them dissect fetal pigs. Well, he and his friend got the great idea that after they had dissected this pig that it would be kind of funny to take the snout and put it on one of the water fountains at school. (laughs) And so that's what they did. And, of course, they wanted to see everybody's reactions, so they stood nearby and they were laughing so hard that they got caught. (laughs) Why do guys do that? I don't know. It just comes to mind when they're looking at things like that. Or here's a, a man, Dave. He was born in 1952. He's from Washington. He said, a friend and I found a can of, uh, coffee can of gasoline in the garage, and we decided to pour some down a manhole and light it to see what would happen. We popped the manhole cover, poured some gas in, replaced the cover so that it was a jar, and then we kept throwing matches down, but nothing happened. So they decided to pour all the gas in. Finally, there was a noise like a jet engine starting up, (laughs) a rumbling underground, and then a big explosion. The manhole cover flew up, and a flame shot up about 15 feet in the air. The ground was rumbling, and the manhole cover crashed about 12 feet away in the neighbor's driveway. Well, what happened was the gas ran down the sewer lines for about a block or so and vaporized with all the methane in there. And then it blew up all our neighbor's toilets. (laughs) Here's the deal. He goes, I'm a plumber now. (laughs) And that's how I know exactly what happened. Now, there's a whole bunch of stories like that, you know, and we laugh. And I look at that and I go, you know, that wasn't a good idea then. And it's really not a good idea now. Because some people would think it was a terrorist attack or something if, if that happened. But I would bet that if you ask the men that are in our church today, those stories bring to mind stories of things that they can recall, either of people that they knew or things that they may have done themselves. For example, I have a friend named Scott who's a pastor today. He's a great guy. And when he was a kid... Grew up on a farm in northwest corner of Minnesota. And um, his mom, uh, they had an old country farmhouse, and his mom had commented how she wished that someday they could replace the picture window in their living room area because it was older glass and it was a little bit, you know, wavy or filmy. And so Scott got the great idea of having a baseball game outside their front window, (laughs) if you will. And so they had this baseball game going in the farmyard, and then... During the course of that game, he decided to pitch a ball through the front window. Just shattered the whole glass, you know, thinking his mom would be happy about that because now they could replace the window. Uh, That was not the case, and Scott got in big trouble for doing that. But why do guys think about those kind of things, and why do they do that? Those of you that have boys know that one of the scariest aspects about raising boys is their tendency to risk life and limb for no good reason. Uh, It begins very early. If a toddler can climb on it, he will jump off of it. As he gets older, he's drawn toward everything dangerous, skateboards, rock climbing, hang gliding, motorcycles, and mountain bikes. At about age 16, he and his buddies begin driving. It's a whole new adventure, and it's a wonder that any of us survive. Girls can also be risk-takers, but in general, their concerns are a little bit different. I know risk-taking is partly personality, but in general, uh, girls have different issues and concerns that come to mind for them. Now, we had all sons, so what I had to do this week was email some parents of girls and talk to them and say, how is it different raising girls than it is raising boys? And generally, here's what they said, in general, girls are more verbal, more social, and more concerned about friendships and they want to talk about that and what's going on in their life. If you ask a guy how his day was, he might say it was fine and he'd be happy with that answer. If you ask a girl how her day was, you know, generally girls are more verbal and they'll tell you everything about their day. I talked to one dad who has all daughters and he said that, you know, around the dinner table, I mean, our dinner table experience has always been quite different than his and he would say that he says the prayer for the meal and then that's about the last word that he gets in and then it <laughs> goes from there girls in general are also more concerned about uh, clothes or appearances and it starts at an early age i remember being at a friend's place for a, a cookout we were having a picnic and he had three daughters and uh, they were probably at that time in the ages of about you know 6 4 and 2 in that age period And one of his daughters wanted Dad to tie uh, her shoes, you know, and so Dad ties the shoes. And she fell apart because the bows were not even, the loops on the laces. You know, and she just lost it right there, and Dad had to re-tie the shoes so that the bows would be just perfectly even. One of the interesting things about that is that about three, four years ago, she went on to be Miss Minnesota here. you know, And so that concern was there at a very young age about appearances and how things looked. But here's the deal. You can go to the next slide. Our assignment as parents is to transform our children from out-of-control toddlers or maybe self-centered toddlers into godly young men and women who will love their spouse, be faithful in marriage, who are keepers of commitments, strong leaders, good workers, and dedicated followers of Jesus Christ. And we have less than two decades to do that. In fact, those of you know that when kids start driving, you know, those years when they are at home go very fast. And so you got about sixteen years to do the primary work. Can we accomplish that? Not a chance. Not a chance. It's only by God's grace that we can do this. There's a role that we have as parents to teach and train our children in godliness. There's a choice that the child must make to choose to follow Jesus Christ and to value and honor His Word and to look to Jesus. And then there is God's grace in this whole thing. Because God has chosen to use us as role models in the life of our children, as teachers and as encouragers and guides, We can't do this in our strength alone. We need to depend upon Him. So how do we help our children grow to become godly young men and women? One of the primary ways that we influence our children is by teaching. And that's where this passage comes in in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to what Moses wrote here to the people of Israel. He said, Hear, O Israel, Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I want to mention a little bit about the context of this when you look at it. You know, here Moses was speaking to the children of Israel. It was a new generation. All of those that had been over the age of 20 that had refused to enter the promised land had now died. So there's a whole new generation that's come up. And he recounts for them the history, how God has delivered them and brought them out of Egypt, how He provided for them in the wilderness. And then he repeats the Ten Commandments, God's law for them. That's why this book is called Deuteronomy. It's a second giving of the law. It is the same law, but now it is given to a new generation. So it's a second uh, giving of the law to this new generation And in chapter 5, he has just gone through those ten commandments that are to be their guide for life. And then the very first thing he tells them is, okay, there are two things that you must do if you want to live long in the land that God is giving to you. And those two things are this. We must love God with all our heart, and all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And secondly, we must teach our children to love God too that we need to pass on our faith to this next generation. And every parent who is a believer, you know, wrestles with that. How do I pass along my faith in a way that it becomes that child's own experience? As those of us who maybe, you know, maybe some did not grow up in a Christian home. You've come to know Jesus Christ and you're wondering, how do I do this? Some of you who have grown up with Christian parents, you've had that blessing and heritage, but you want your children to have this kind of first chair experience where their faith in God is so real to them. They've had this profound conversion experience and they know that God is real and He cares about them. How do we do that? Well, the primary responsibility for teaching and training our children in godliness rests upon us as parents. Uh, That doesn't mean that others can't help along the way. They will. The church is here to help. And other believers in Christ are here to help. But the primary responsibility for teaching and training our children to know Christ and love Christ and follow Christ rests upon us as parents. It all starts in the home. And we are to teach both formally and informally. That's what Deuteronomy is saying here. You know, we're to teach when we are sitting down in our homes. And there's a formal aspect to that. And we might be around the dinner table. It might be at bedtime. We're also to teach when we're walking along the road and going, driving in our cars, or we're out working and we're doing things together. He says, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you rise up, It's an all day, all life kind of experience that we are to teach our children by our life and by our words. This morning I brought in another kind of visual aid here, if you will. It's a Bible. It's a very old Bible. It actually belonged to my grandfather, Ole J. Stanghelli. He was born in Norway came across on a boat in the 1890s. He was born in 1872, came here in the 1890s, and started to farm and, you know, those steps of having a family. He's got eight children. Their names are all listed in here, the date of their marriage, all those kind of things. And uh, my grandfather was uh, 90 years old when I was just eight years old. But the image I have of my grandfather, I have a picture of him reading his Bible, and praying and I I know that about my grandfather he was active in the church he was generous in his giving he cared about the things of God and he supported different ministries and works that were going on and he passed on a legacy of faith I know that reading the scriptures was very important to my dad I'd see my dad many times with his Bible open and reading and doing that and I had the privilege of growing up in a home where that was important Going to church, being active in that, being involved in it, and living out your faith was an important thing of what you do. Now, I know that some of you grew up in homes that weren't like that. Last year at our men's retreat, uh, we just had a great kind of informal discussion before breakfast one day when we were talking about the differences. And some of the guys who were there were sharing their struggles because, Uh, You don't have a role model for this. You don't know how to do this as a Christian father and dad. How do you teach your kids? What are you supposed to do in that role? And we talked about how important it is to connect with one another because we've got other men who have grown up in that situation but who have learned and who have been doing this now for some time that can be an encouragement to you. That's why we need to connect and learn from each other why I'm doing this series even on parenting, just to kind of raise the bar and encourage you to take those steps of faith to be involved in teaching and training your children. I know in our family, um, with our boys, there were some things that we did. I'm just going to share those. Uh, we were not perfect in everything that we did, but there were some things that we tried to do very intentionally to pass on our faith to our children. One of the things that we would do is we would read to our children at night. And both Gail and I did this. And we would read children's stories that were just fun, classic stories that kids love and enjoy. But we also read devotional stories. We would use books like Little Talks with God by Gilbert Beers. Or we used um, stories and lessons from nature. Because we had boys and we liked to camp and we liked to do things like that, uh, William Coleman's stories that related lessons of faith to things in nature was really interesting. And our guys still remember those stories. We'd also uh, read stories from the Bible. Most of the time they were in a children's version and we would talk about those stories uh, and then teach them, talk about what that means and apply them to life. You know, when Ron and I were talking about suggested devotionals that we could get for our book table out here, we quickly realized that most of the devotionals we used are already out of print. And so we weren't quite as familiar with the ones that are out here. But I've looked at the book table, and we've tried to order some great resources. And there are devotional materials that you can pick up. Uh, There's a number of them out there, and I would encourage you to do that. And begin that habit of reading to your children and sharing from the Scripture if you're not doing that already. When our kids were older, we began to encourage them to have their own quiet time. And they, each one of them in, in time would start to read through the Scriptures on their own and having their own personal quiet time of reading from the Bible and praying. And then we would talk about things, how's it going? How's it going in your life? You know, How are you doing spiritually? And things like that to encourage them. All along the way, and then every morning we would pray with our boys before they go to school, and we did that so much that uh, there was one stretch once when for about a three four month period, uh, we had a couple neighbor children that were dropped off at our house so that they could catch the bus. Uh, their mom went to work earlier, and so she needed a place for them to stay. And we just included them in the family prayers for the day and praying for the boys as they went off for school. And this mom later told us that when things changed and she was able to uh, get them on the bus herself, you know, they just continued that habit of wanting to pray. They were so used to that as a part of their life. And then we would pray with our boys every night when we tucked them in at bed when they were younger. And we'd pray about what was going on in their life and in their world. Those habits of the word and prayer, word and prayer, instill a lifestyle. I mean, they instill habits that become ingrained that this is an important thing to do. And we see how God's word applies to our life. We need to be intentional about passing on our faith. We need to work at those things. Uh, Otherwise, it just won't happen. You know, we can't assume somebody else is going to do this for us. We need to do it ourselves. And most of us are very good at passing on to our children things that we really love and enjoy, like our hobbies or our sports. You know, a new father, if he can, he'll probably buy a baseball bat and glove and and a ball on the way home from the hospital after the baby's been born, you know, if he can. I mean, we're eager to pass on those kind of things to our children. Moms want to, you know, they look forward to sharing things with their daughters that they really enjoy and delight in. If as a family you enjoy things like camping or fishing or playing games together or active sports or reading, it's just natural to do those things with your children and include them in that. In the same way, it needs to be just as natural and intentional that we pass on our faith to our children. Look at First Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, and we'll put that up here for you. Paul said this to Timothy. He said, Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, but rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. He's saying here that, you know, both of these things are good. Physical training's good, spiritual training's good. But you know what? Even though both are good, only one is eternal. Only one's going to last beyond this life. That's the spiritual dimension. Sports, recreation, physical exercise are all good for our health and our enjoyment. But spiritual training has value for both the present life and the life to come. In fact, it is more important for us to help our children love God and follow Him than anything else we do. Do you believe that? It is more important for us to train our children to help them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ than anything else we do. Because that's what's going to last. And that statement doesn't mean we neglect all those things that are very practical skills that we want our children to know. No, we do all of that. And we do that all in the context of honoring God. And we teach our children how to be responsible at home, how to treat one another with kindness and respect, how to to work hard or develop their gifts and skills and talents that they have and to use them in a way that's going to be productive. We encourage and we train and we discipline. But all of that's done in terms of our relationship with Jesus Christ and honoring Him. And Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4, puts the responsibility for spiritual leadership on the Father. Dads, we are to be the spiritual leader in our home. And that doesn't mean that we are the only one doing it. It doesn't mean that a mom doesn't teach and nurture and train as well. She does. But look at this verse from Ephesians six four. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's a word to fathers, and it gives this word of warning first about not exasperating our children. What does that mean? What does it mean to exasperate our children? Well, it has to do with frustrating them. A child will... Feel exasperated, for example, if they feel like they can never measure up. It's one thing to set the bar high enough to challenge and encourage our kids and stretch them. We want to do that. But it's another thing to keep setting that bar and moving it so much that the child feels like he can never please you. He can never measure up or live up to your expectations. We need to be careful not to discourage our children. And given their age and appropriate behavior for them at that age, we need to encourage and affirm and then continue to develop those skills and abilities in them as they grow older. If a dad is too harsh, too strict, and there's never a word of encouragement or praise, a child will grow up being angry and again lose heart and give up. And so there's a balance for dads. Those times when we need to be firm and times when we need to be tender. Times when we need to exercise discipline and times when we need to show love and make sure that when we do discipline, it is in the context of love. And all those are things that we need help with along the way. And we can learn from one another in terms of how have you dealt with this or how do you uh, handle a situation when this comes up. And it's okay as parents. We need to talk about those things and say, what, what do you think would be the best way to approach this? I know my wife has helped me in this area so much too because there are times when I may have said the right thing, but my tone was not very good. And she has corrected and helped me to see that. And I've learned that my tone in how I say things can be just as important as what I say and how it comes across. Our kids need to know that we love them and care about them. And they will respond much better to discipline when they understand that and we have that relationship established. So how do we create a climate for spiritual growth in our home and family? These are some practical things that we must do. Number one, I think it's very important for us to be a gatekeeper. Dads, moms, we need to be a gatekeeper. Our home. There is so much garbage in our world today, we need to take responsibility to keep it out of our homes. You know, things between movies and TV and internet and magazines and music and all of those things, the commercials, can be just as bad or worse than some of the shows. Be careful what you watch. Philippians 4 8 says that whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. You know, we've been very careful about what we've watched and what we've not watched in movies that we have rented through the years just to be careful in that area in terms of what we see. And those things may change slightly as kids get older and, and uh, you know, it changes in terms of what you watch, but you still want to guard that area because what we see affects what we think about and what we do. We need to teach our children to be discerning too. Philippians 1, 9 to 11, again, Paul's prayer about choosing those things that are excellent is really important. You know, we might teach our children in other areas to be wise or make good decisions. It also applies to what we watch and what we read and what we listen to. And I think this whole area has gotten harder for parents. With computers and the Internet and iPods and music and cell phones and video games and all of those things, man, how do you stay on top of all that? You know, it's almost impossible for a parent to keep guard on all of that. That's why you need to teach your children to be discerning and wise as well. And I would say to you, those of you that are teenagers, you know, you have hit this point where you are accountable to God for your actions. And what you watch and what you listen to as well. And so you have a part of this responsibility about honoring God and what you see and what you listen to. And are those things pleasing to you? And do they meet the standards of Philippians 4.8? Are they true and honorable and right and excellent and worthy of praise? Or do they really, are they demeaning and self-centered and sexually oriented or, or all of those other things that can be part of it today? We need to be careful what we watch. Secondly, we need to teach and talk about the scriptures. We talked about the importance of having a family devotional time or reading to your children at bedtime or however you choose to do that. That needs to be a part of the framework of your life as a parent. And then we need to talk about God and His Word during the normal events of the day, formally and informally. And if you are wondering what are some good resources to, to use in that, again, I encourage you to check out the book table out in the foyer. Third, we need to pray with our children. Morning and evening, pray with them. Pray about the things that are going on in their world and their life and the concerns that they have, as well as those of your own. Pray about things going on in the world. Talk about that. Talk about things like what's going on in Myanmar and the tremendous loss that's going on there. And what does God want us to do as believers when something like that happens? Pray for missionaries and their involvement and things that are going on around the world as well. Fourth, encourage Scripture memory. Uh, WANA is a great program for that, of helping our children to memorize the Scripture. And we need to be involved in that as parents. Five, put them in situations where they can grow. And that, again, starts when they're young. You know, you take them to church and Sunday school, Awana, youth group. But there are also these other opportunities that will come. Uh, Summer Bible camps, conferences and retreats, the National Conference for Youth, which has just been tremendous, mission trips and experiences like that. And I know when you look at that as a parent, you go, boy, those things are expensive. And some of them are. They cost a lot of money. And so you need to plan. You can't do them all. Okay? You know, most of us can't afford to send our kids on everything that comes along. Most of us have to budget that and balance that out. But plan it in. It's really important. Those are significant events. And so choose wisely. And if you are in our congregation, you know, and you're thinking about a way that you can help a family, man, a scholarship, a scholarship, For a kid to go to camp or to go to a national conference or something like that or just helping students along the way would mean a tremendous amount and be a blessing in their life. And then sixth, keep growing yourself. If it's important to you, it will very likely be important to them. If they see that you are active in your faith and growing, that lifestyle is going to have an influence upon them. And there might be an age or a period in their life when they may rebel against that. Some kids do, some never do. Some kids just walk with God and grow up in that, and it's so important and vital that they don't stray. And some kids do for a time. But the odds are if they have seen that loving, consistent example in you, they will come back and they will grow in their relationship with Christ as well. Let's pray. Father, as we talk about these very practical things and our role as a parent or a grandparent or a teacher, Lord, help us to see what we could do today, this week even, to be an example in the life of another child and to encourage them along the way. Lord, I pray that people who are here today would not be discouraged if these things are not happening now, but that they would choose instead to say, you know what, today's the day. And I want to begin anew to put these things into practice in our home. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.